Welcome to Actions Antidotes, your antidote to the mindset that keeps you settling for less. One thing I talk about quite a bit is this idea of living by the script. And by the script, what I'm talking about is kind of the standard expectations that we kind of have almost unwritten in our culture today, and every culture has them. In today's culture, this manifests as something along the lines of go to school, get good grades, get a good job, gradually move up the ladder, probably have 2.3 kids or something like that. Now, I'm not here to throw shade on anyone that is living according to the script. If you're happy with it, I'm happy for you and everything like that. One of my goals is to open people up to other possibilities. And with that being said, I want to introduce my guest today, Rick Seymour, who began living in a semi-retired state at the age of 38. Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephen. Delighted to be with you here today. Thank you so much. Your journey is going from something that was way more kind of by the script in the sense that you were working a standard corporate job to what you're doing now, which is kind of a state of semi-retirement or working at your own discretion. Describe the overall process. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting because when I went to school at CU, I had a major in applied mathematics and physics because it was easy for me. And when I got out of school, it's like, well, what do you do with that if you want to stay in Colorado? And in those days, there were really only two significant corporations to work for that could utilize that talent. And that was Martin Marietta, which is now Lockheed Martin, and Ball Brothers. And Martin Marietta was very involved in the space program. So I came into it early. I'm literally a recovering rocket scientist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I started right at the end of the last Apollo mission and worked on our first space station, which was Skylab. 44 years ago, we put a lander on Mars for the first time with less technology than you have in your cell phone. Worked on the early shuttle programs. But as interesting and exciting as the work was, the bureaucracy, the office politics, all of it made me a little crazy. And being hmm. a contractor to NASA with another layer of politics and bureaucracy on top of us, it was a stifling atmosphere to work in. And I got to the place where I didn't want to have to put up with all of that. I think you have to get a little beat up in the corporate world before being an entrepreneur and being on your own makes sense. But I really got to the point where I was tired of working for people I wouldn't have hired. <laughs> yeah. When you add to that all of the stuff that goes with large corporations, I just want it out. But, you know, being a stereotypical engineer with zero people skills, I mean, I wouldn't even eat lunch in the company cafeteria because I was afraid hmm. somebody would talk to me. Didn't know what to do with that. So, you know, I couldn't figure out a way out, but knew that I wanted out and kept striving to make that happen. I knew I wanted the freedom of being in my own business. I wanted the flexibility, obviously, with a good enough income to enjoy the time freedom. But, you know, in the early days of being an engineer, it was sort of a mystery to me. So just to make sure our audience is oriented, you said 44 years ago. So that would be in the 1970s? Yes, exactly. And I know there's a lot of new stuff going on with the space program over the last few years with Elon Musk and SpaceX and some of that stuff. But this is kind of the tail end of the first set of space exploration that culminated with that 1969 moment of landing on the moon. But there was a whole bunch of other missions. Yeah. And at that point, everything we were doing was being done for the first time. Everything I worked on, with the exception of the Viking lander, was manned spaceflight. Mm. And when you're talking about people's lives at stake, 
the hoops you had to jump through, the thousand different iterations and meetings you had to go through before anybody would ever make a decision about anything, just basically drove me nuts. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to be able to do my work, make a decision, get on with it. But, you know, you had to have approval from 74 people before anything was ever allowed to happen or make a decision about it. That is really interesting. And one of the things I wonder is, do you believe it's any different today? Or do you think that since there's still a lot of, say, bureaucratical government involvement, we'd still have that same frustration if you were to be doing that today? Well, I think when you look at the fact that now private corporations are part of the space program without all of the government oversight that we've had historically, there's probably less of that today. But ultimately, when they're talking about taking passengers into space in the next 10 years, guess what? You're going to have to pay attention to how well you're doing your job and jump through just as many hoops knowing that people's lives are in danger. Because, I mean, look at what's happened to the airlines over the last 50 years. And even recent experiences that people have seen on the news, the reality is that you got to be pretty darn good at what you do and you can't cut corners. And it doesn't matter whether it's NASA driving the program or a private corporation driving the program. Yeah, so you're saying that by the very nature of the work, it requires, say, a strong attention to detail and significant layers of quality control. And one of the things that would be interesting for a lot of people to think about is we often have ideas of what we want to do, but don't necessarily see the entire picture. So people think of space, they think of going out into outer space, building rocket ships, all the, the glorious part of it. But any career path anyone pursues is going to have something of a non-glorious component to it. And it's a matter of thinking that through as well. I think there's that, but there's another piece that I think becomes real obvious to people that find themselves in their own business, however they got there, Mm -hmm. is that it's always about the other guy. It's about your customer. Mm -hmm. And until you're able to have that perspective about what it is you're doing and how you put yourself out there, it doesn't matter how good you are at what you do, you're not going to be very successful at it. Would you say that an important component of maturity, even as a broader concept, is recognizing when things are not about yourself? Absolutely. I mean, when I was looking to get out of corporate America and get into my own business, it was all about me. It was my goals. It was my dream. It was my vision. I knew what I wanted my life to look like. Mm -hmm. But once I made that transition, there were several things that became very apparent very fast. Number one, that Most people don't have the self-discipline to do what needs to be done in an entrepreneurial environment. Nobody's looking over your shoulder. There's not a clock to punch. Nobody's telling you what to do. Nobody sets your goals for you. That's entirely up to you. (laughs) All of a sudden, to have that freedom, most people, and I did it too, most Mm -hmm. people sort of just go on vacation because you you left that 40, 50-hour-a-week job, and now you think you have all this time in the world to be successful. And the reality is you can fritter away that time in a heartbeat and not even know you're doing it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Because one of the most frustrating experiences I ever had in the corporate world was with a system known as SMART Goals, which is an acronym that's that just became a buzzword for a while. I think it's kind of fallen out of favor over the last couple of years. But in the mid-2010s, it was pretty much everywhere, which stands for specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time-bound or something like that. But the overall point was that it wasn't my decision of what my goal was going to be or my assessment. And I think it's more important to say my assessment because it seems like as an entrepreneur, you need to be self-motivated, but you also need to kind of look around and it's not just 
all about, this is what I want. You're responding to market forces. You're responding to your customer base and then figuring out, okay, what do I need to be accountable for? What needs to happen between now and next year for this business to progress the way it needs to? Or even what has to happen today. I mean, you have to ultimately boil down to what are the daily activities you're going to have to do in order to make that progression toward the goal that you set. And, you know, a lot of people are really good at the big picture, putting it out there for, oh, this is where I want to be in five years, but they never boil it down to, okay, what do I have to do today to make that happen? Yeah, and that's interesting because a lot of job descriptions, a lot of people will describe themselves as big picture people and detail oriented. And one thing I've wondered, particularly over the past, say, 24 months is, is that a false dichotomy? Are the real successful people, people who are able to perform the details, but understand how these details fit into a big picture. Yeah, you're right. It's exactly both of those. They have to dovetail together because one without the other, if you don't have the big goal, you're not going to have the motivation to do those day-to-day tasks, you know, have to be done. But if you don't know what the day-to-day tasks are, the odds of you ever getting to the goal are pretty slim. So yeah, all those (laughs) pieces have to play together. Would you say that If someone's naturally detail-oriented, they should just have a detail-oriented job within a larger organization. And likewise, if someone's only really thinking about the big picture, their goal should be to become like a C-level executive where you're thinking on the big picture and then just delegating all the details to the people below you on the org chart. I don't think I would generalize that way, Stephen, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. I mean, I look at our own business in our organization, we have every spectrum of person you can think of. The people that have the big dreams, the big goals without a lot of, you know, effectiveness when it comes to the details and vice versa, but they mm-hmm. all figure out a way to succeed. And I don't think I would want to limit anybody's thinking that, you know, if I'm a real detail-oriented person, I can't be an entrepreneur, or mm-hmm. if I'm just a dreamer, I can't be an entrepreneur. And it really boils down to this. Personal development is paramount for anybody who wants to succeed at anything. I mean, I think about Mm -hmm. myself who couldn't carry on a conversation in the company cafeteria, just scared me silly. And all of a sudden, I find myself in a business that's a people business and come to the realization that if I don't learn how to come out of my shell, if I don't work on me, if I don't learn the communication skills, learn how to interact with people, learn how to discover what their needs and wants and desires are so to find out if I can meet those needs, then nothing would ever have happened in this business. So Hmm. it comes down to, we're going to have to work on ourselves. And in fact, one of my mentors told me years and years ago, he said, Rick, if you'll work as hard on yourself as you do your business, you'll have a great business. Hmm. And I have never forgotten that because I've been a personal development junkie for years. You know, I went from somebody that couldn't carry on a conversation to having a great time speaking at a conference in China for 14,000 people. Now, you don't get from (laughs) where I was to where I am today if you're not constantly working on yourself. I guess the takeaway here is that people should be spending less time thinking about what I am and what I'm not, and more time thinking, how can I develop the skills I need to get to where I want to go? Yeah, I think that's a good way to phrase it, because one, you know, one of the things that I've seen over the years is when I share the opportunity that we have for people, I'll get a response occasionally, maybe more than occasionally, where somebody says, well, I'm just not that kind of person. And the minute somebody says, 
I'm just not that kind of person to me. What it really says is I'm not willing to change. I'm not willing mm-hmm. to grow. But if somebody is forward thinking enough that they have a growth mindset, they realize that by working on themselves, they can accomplish things that they weren't able to do in the past. All of a sudden, things change dramatically, but it has just as much to do with attitude as it does anything else. Let's go back to at least the initial corporate part of your story. Where were you working and how long did you work there for? I was at Martin Marietta. I actually interned there when I was still in college in summers for two summers. And I ended up because of the internship, just slid into Martin Company with a full-time job after graduation because I'd already proven myself there Mm -hmm. and ultimately ended up spending 18 years there. I was in my late 20s when I had made an active decision that I have got to get out of here. I didn't know how that was going to happen, but (laughs) I have got to get out of here and started looking for opportunities. And that's about six years in, right? I would assume after college. That would have been, well, I mean, the reality that I knew I couldn't spend my life in corporate America, yeah, I'd say was probably five or six years in. But, you know, I think, like I said earlier, I think most people have to get beat up a little bit in corporate America before the idea of taking the risk to be on your own would even be a temptation for a lot of people. Because, I mean, people think I have security because the paycheck says the same thing every two weeks. So, But the reality is somebody can take that paycheck away from you anytime they want. Yeah, that's actually one reality I point out to people quite a bit is that the security behind that paycheck is often overestimated. People think I'm going to keep getting that same paycheck every two weeks. But a lot of people, even more commonly nowadays, experience, wait a second, that every two week paycheck is not quite as secure as what I had believed in my own head about it. So after six years about you start feeling, okay, you got beat up by corporate America a little bit, maybe getting a little bit sick of the bureaucracy. What goes through your head and what actions do you start taking at that point in time? Well, like most people, I thought sort of the brick and mortar thing was the way out. You know, own your own business. And when I thought business, it usually looked like a store. We Mm -hmm. lived in South Turkey Creek Canyon, uh, southwest of Denver. They're across the road from uh, Tiny Town. Oh, I know that place. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's now a coffee shop. But in those days, it was called the Little Log Store, gas pumps out front. It went on the market. And I thought, hey, we'll buy that. We'll be independent. It's five minutes from the house. Don't have a commute. Don't have a boss. It'll be awesome. Mm-hmm. And a couple of weeks before we were getting serious about signing the papers, I was pumping gas on the way to work. And I was adding up the number of hours. Their doors were open. And they were open 96 hours a week. And all of a sudden, it registered on me. Well, maybe 45, 50 hours a week at Martin Company isn't so bad, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and I was going to stick my wife and I in there and spend 96 hours a week with no life, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, You're that crazy. close to like being behind a register for 96 hours a week? Can you imagine? No, you I know? mean. And then, then a couple of years after that, I'd been an avid cyclist my whole life, and I thought, owning a bike shop, that'd be wonderful. I mm-hmm. love bikes. I love people who are cyclists. And I had the good fortune of having a friend buy a bike shop before I did. And I watched him work 80 to 90 hours a week and never have time to get on a bike. And all of a sudden it registered on me, maybe the whole brick and mortar thing isn't the way to go, you mm-hmm. know, but I still hadn't found an alternative at that point. So we're still doing the Martin Marietta thing was a pretty close call with that gas station, but it sounds like you had some time and you were doing some 
exploration about different ideas. Definitely. And it was only through a fluke conversation that we were introduced to the company we're with now. It was my first introduction to network marketing. Can you describe what network marketing means for anyone that might not know or be familiar with that term? It's basically a business model where you can leverage yourself by engaging other people in the same endeavor that you're in, whatever it is. In fact, you know, it's interesting because I pulled a couple of quotes down that I thought were fascinating. Here's Tony Robbins says, what's beautiful about network marketing is that you've got all the benefits of being an owner, but you don't have to worry about the supply chain. You don't have to worry about accounting, especially in the world we're in today. There are really some great companies out there. Bill Gates said, if I would be given a chance to start all over again, I would choose network marketing. Robert Kiyosaki said, network marketing gives people the opportunity with very low risk and very low financial commitment to build their own income generating asset and acquire great wealth. Well, we were exposed to network marketing through just a, a fluke conversation about biodegradable cleaners. This was 47 years ago. But so 47 but years ago, you're having a discussion about biodegradable chemicals? Cleaners for oh, the cleaners. household. Yeah. <laughs> I just drug my wife out here from Chicago and she was very disappointed that there was pollution in the creek and we were at this luncheon and one of the guys there asked her how she liked Colorado. And of course, coming from Chicago, most people who like me love Colorado just think, how could you even compare the two? And she looked at him and said, well, I was actually kind of disappointed. And he was in shock. <laughs> <laughs> He said, what do you mean? And she said, well, there's pollution in the creek across the road. And he looked at her and he said, well, what are you doing about it? And we were both hmm. rather taken aback. That was our introduction to biodegradable cleaners, because it turns out in those days, today it's 90%, but in those days, 60% of water pollution came from household cleaning products. Hmm. Corporations have since cleaned up their act, but now we're still flushing the same toxic chemicals down our drain every day. And just walking down the cleaning aisle, most people practically get knocked over by the odor of it. So anyway, we were intrigued. Mm -hmm. And I was an environmentalist. I helped put the first Earth Day together in oh, Denver wow. almost 50 years ago. Wow. And I didn't know there was such a thing as biodegradable cleaners. You know, they came up and told us about cleaners. And then they started talking about nutrition. And I didn't know anything about nutrition, didn't care about nutrition, didn't believe most of what they said. <laughs> and then they drew out the business model. It was my first exposure to network marketing. Being a rocket scientist, I understood the mathematics of it. I understood geometric progressions, how things could grow. It captured my imagination. And I decided right then that was going to be my ticket out of corporate America. And in fact, it was. So at that point in time, you decided that network marketing was your ticket out, not necessarily, or did you decide that biodegradable house products were? It was both. I mean, if the company didn't have credible products, it'd be pointless to think about creating a business, right? No yeah. matter how yeah. good the business model was, they went hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Mm -hmm. But being fascinated by something that I was already passionate about, which is the environment and wellness and being an exercise junkie most of my life, I had a resting heart rate of 42 in those days from being so fit. That's better than oh, most wow. Olympic athletes. When they started talking about health and wellness and green cleaners and, you know, and of course, green in those days was just a color. It wasn't mm -hmm. movement. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like, well, that's really cool. And here's a business model that makes sense to me. I can see how I could leverage my time, help other people achieve their goals at the same time. And you put that whole package together and I got excited. 
I mean, all of mm-hmm. a sudden I had a vision for how to get out of corporate America. Nice. And there's a couple of things I want to point out about this story. First of all, I think a lot of people end up in the mindset where you have to pursue one thing and only one thing and spend almost your entire waking life, except for when you go to the gym and work out or unload your dishwasher or whatever else, really focused on one thing. But one of the ways that you actually discovered what you really wanted to do was cultivating multiple interests. And even the ones that didn't work out, you had your interest in your cycling, originally your first job, your interest in physics and space. The other thing I want to point out is that it seems like I've heard a lot of people describe the idea of some people just get lucky. And it's not so much that people get lucky. The people that seem lucky are the ones that try more things, that put themselves out there more. And I'll often use the analogy of rolling dice because I like to go to the casino and play the game of craps. And sometimes what I say about life is that Life is like rolling the dice and trying to get boxcars or a pair of sixes, and that's a one in 36 chance. But the key to eventually getting your pair of sixes in life is to roll the dice enough times to get that pair of sixes. And if you keep going out there, you keep rolling the dice, you keep pursuing different interests in different places, eventually something's going to click. Well, I think you're exactly right, because I was looking at all kinds of things. I mean, I described two that I got very close to doing. But I was looking at all kinds of stuff. And in those days, of course, we didn't have the internet to explore. So it was more about reading current business magazines, talking to people, just kind of finding out what other people are doing. But as you say, if you don't put yourself out there and discover what it is A, you're passionate about and what it is that you can somehow figure out to create a business model around that. And I'm sure everybody listening to this has heard that if you love what you're doing, you're never going to work a day in your life. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was about the environment, wellness, and the idea that I could take something that I was interested in and passionate about and create a business around that. That was really exciting to me. And, you know, we were originally introduced to it by Shackley Corporation. We've been with Shackley Corporation for 47 years. And here I am, I'm turning 75 in two weeks. And I am probably more passionate about what I do today than I was when we started 47 years ago. And that's amazing to be able to maintain that passion for that long, because a lot of people do burn out. One thing I wonder is, as you were pursuing some of these other ideas, the gas station, the bike shop, all the ones you didn't mention, did you ever start to run out of patience? Did you ever start to feel like, oh my gosh, this is never going to happen. I'm going to be stuck in the corporate world forever. And how did you respond to that? Well, yeah, Stephen, there were times where I would say almost desperate. I mean, I dreaded Monday morning so much. And there were times where I just knew I was going to be doing that the rest of my life. You know, I couldn't figure out, is there any way ever to get out of this thing? But I never quit looking. I mean, there were times where I felt like I had explored all the options. I looked at everything, but I never quit looking. Mm. And had I not been in that mindset When we had that first conversation about biodegradable cleaners, it would have just been, oh, that's nice. Yeah, we probably should use green cleaners in our house, and I'll go on being an aerospace engineer. Mm -hmm. But my mindset was not there. My mindset was not in corporate America. I was already seeing myself out there in the world creating something much bigger than myself that would solve a problem for other people but also help my wife and I get to where we wanted to go. From the moment you determined that that was your path forward, how long did it take for you to actually realize that path? 
Well, I realized the path the day I decided. And I think that's Mm -hmm. the thing most people have to understand is that there comes a day where you have to decide. You Mm -hmm. can't have one foot in one boat and one foot in the other. Mentally is what I'm talking about. I mean, in reality, we built this in our spare time. We're both working full-time jobs. I mean, I remember something Stephen Covey said years ago. He said, from eight to five, you pay the bills. That's what you do after five o'clock that creates your future. Mm. Well, we saw that. We understood that. So evenings and weekends is when we worked on our future. I was maybe more security oriented than I needed to be. It took us eight years before I left the corporation from the time we started. But we were making (laughs) two and a half times in our spare time with Shackley Corporation what I made as a full-time aerospace engineer after 18 years with the same company. Wow. That's awesome. And unless people don't think that was a big day in my life, it was 2.42 p.m. August 2nd, 1984. I (laughs) I drove through the front gate for the last time, looked at my watch, and never looked back. And it's awesome to hear that you don't have to be a high risk person to make something like this happen. It sounded like you could even be a little bit risk averse as long as you put in the hard work. There is a certain amount of sacrifice, it sounds like, for eight years working still 40 to 50 hours a week at a regular job, keeping the lights on, as well as putting together your business in the spare time. I guess those of us trying to do that nowadays are lucky that we do have some options such as freelance work and Uber, although none of that would pay nearly as much as a full-time job as an aerospace engineer. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, but I will tell you with today's technology, it's just like what we're doing right now. If we'd have had this kind of technology, if we had Zoom, if we had all access to all the information and the ways that we can interact and communicate with people today that we didn't have when we started this business, it would have gone a whole lot faster. You know, I see people that come into our business and I would say the average person who is coachable could accomplish what it took us eight years to accomplish in half the time or less just because there's so many more resources today that we didn't have when we started. It is amazing to hear about people taking advantage of these opportunities that we have now because of all the technological advancements. A lot of doors are being open. What would you say is the key tenant of the idea of network marketing? Well, I think the reality is that if you can offer other people a product or service that they benefit from, that enhances their life somehow, You will also find some people who are looking for a side gig, they're looking for a plan B, they're looking for a way to create another stream of income that they can go out and share that same thing. And so all of a sudden, it's not just you that's creating that market, it's other people doing it. So you're literally multiplying yourself by helping other people achieve their goals. And I think that's the beauty of it. It's it's a win-win thing because in corporate America, you're worth is based on the box you own on the organization chart. It's based on your position. In network marketing, your worth is based on your performance. There are people who can come into this business and make dramatically more money than the person who introduced them to it, and everybody wins. But in the corporation, the odds of some guy going from the mailroom to the CEO are probably zero. Anybody can succeed in this business. And is it for everybody? Absolutely not. It's hard, like everything's hard. The concept is simplistic, but the work has still got to be there. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to hear a lot of people say no. I think if you come at it with a big goal that you're passionate about and you believe in what you're sharing, 
and you share that with enthusiasm, things change big time. You know, I think one of the most important lessons I ever learned, I learned very early on because once I decided that this was what I wanted to do to move ahead, my wife was a huge part of supporting me in that. But it was real clear that I had no people skills and I needed to fix that. And I went down to Arapahoe Community College and I signed up for a course in sales. You know, we were living on the edge, even though I had a good aerospace income and my wife was working. Like so many people, we had a lot of stuff that happened in the past and we're just kind of living paycheck to paycheck. So to spend the money on the course was a big deal for the family. And it was a 12-week course. It was two hours once a week for 12 weeks. Most boring course I ever took. Total waste of money. (laughs) The guy who taught it had never been outside of academia, never sold anything to anybody. He was teaching a course on sales. But on the wall was a poster that I read every two. I was there for two hours looking at this poster. And for the first three or four weeks, I looked at the poster and said, that's not true. But halfway through the course, I started to decide, well, maybe there is something to it. And by the time I left the course, I decided that is absolutely true. And all this poster said was to be enthusiastic, you must act enthusiastic. That's all it said. But I came to the realization that our attitude is a choice we make and our feelings follow it. In other words, you decide every day of your life what your attitude is going to be and how you're going to project yourself to other people, and the feelings will come along. But the reality is if you wait around for everything in your life to line up so you can feel good and be positive, you got a long wait. I mean, it's, it's like <laughs> it waiting for happen. every light to turn green before you leave the house. So our attitude, how we project other people, how we come across and attract other people, that's a choice we make every single morning. It has nothing to do with the circumstances. It has nothing to do with how we feel. It has everything to do about what we want our future to look like. That's amazing. That 100% perfect situation is something that's never really going to present itself. The battle is, are you trying something or are you finding, I want to say finding excuses, but finding reasons not to act. And it's important also to invest money in ourselves, whether it be a course on how to learn about people skills or health, our nutrition, our fitness. So tell me a little bit about those services that you provide now with regards to personal health and and nutrition and fitness, because that's something that universally is important to everyone, regardless of what your pursuits are. Well, I think you're right. And especially with the last year of this pandemic, I think people have finally figured out that they've got to take some responsibility for their own health. And one of the things we figured out 47 years ago when we were introduced to this is if you prevent it, you don't have to cure it. It's real simple. So rather than being in the mode like most people where they don't give serious consideration to their health until they don't have it, and that's when they walk into the doctor's office and say, hey, doc, I'd like to buy my health back. I would much (laughs) rather be on the prevention side. And uh, Shackley Corporation is the largest natural wellness company in the country where we've always been about prevention. We've always taught people how to make better diet choices, lifestyle choices, how to supplement their diet intelligently, knowing that our food has changed dramatically in the last generation, that lifestyles have changed to the point where none of us eat what could be called a balanced, consistent diet. But if you Mm -hmm. learn how to supplement intelligently, you can maintain your health. And in fact, UC Berkeley School of Public Health and Tufts University has tracked the health status of Americans who take vitamins, people who don't, people who take just a multivitamin. 
And then our owner went to them and said, hey, would you track a bunch of people who've taken nothing but Shackley supplements for 20 years or more and compare them? And it was one of those bet the company kind of things because they were going to publish the results. And if mm-hmm. it showed yeah. that it didn't make any difference, it's over, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Well, it turns out that people who take nothing or just a multi have three times as many serious health issues as they age than the Shackley population. And people who take lots of vitamins, but other brands besides Shackley have twice as many health issues. And the differences in the quality of the vitamin, the science, the research behind it, all that kind of stuff. And so my passion has been for a very long time just to show people how to make smarter choices. You know, the reality is you don't catch a heart attack. You don't catch cancer. You don't catch type 2 diabetes. You decide every day of your life what you want to die from by what you put in your mouth. And those are some amazing results there. So if someone wanted to get a hold of you or wanted to learn more about Shackley, how would they go about finding you? Well, it's pretty easy. My email's easy enough. It's rick at rickandaldona.com. That's R-I-C-K-A-N-D-A-L-D-O-N-A. My wife is Aldona, rick at rickandaldona.com. The website is pws.chackley.com slash Aldona, A-L-D-O-N-A. Easy enough to find. But I think the fun part is that today we have an assessment where in four or five minutes, people can go through and define what their diet is, their exercise, what drugs they're taking, what their family health history is, and get a very personalized output of what supplements, what vitamins are crucial for you to maintain your health based on all of that. There's nothing else like it in the market right now. The fun part is that whether you ever use a Shackley supplement or not, you'll at least know what you ought to be looking at to maintain your health. Definitely. And that's very important, right? Because it is different for every single individual. Exactly. And I have somebody ask me, well, is it really individualized? Well, considering there's 110 million different possible outcomes, yeah, I'd say it's pretty personalized. (laughs) (laughs) That, That has to be personalized. Well, that's amazing. And I love the story of finding a way out, finding a way to do something that you're passionate about and being so passionate about something that 47 years into it, you're still, as you said, even more passionate about it than you were before because- health is not going away. It's always going to be a universal human concern that people need to take care of their health. Rick, I would like to thank you so much for joining us today on Actions Antidotes. A lot of great insights as to how to keep putting yourself out there and focus on growing, focus on improving yourself as opposed to what you can't do. Once again, stay tuned to Actions Antidotes for more stories about amazing individuals that find a way to live life according to their own truth and pursue something that they really feel passionate about. 